Let's pray together, then we'll see if Jeff was right. Father, we are grateful that we can call you Father. We know that that's not because of our doing. It's because of your love, your grace, your Spirit's work in our life. Because of Christ and his suffering, his rejection, his death, his resurrection. As we interact with your word tonight, we want to be sensitive to it. Not merely hearing, but seeking to live it out in our daily, daily life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. In the bulletin, I had a couple questions. Is security in Christ your responsibility or the Lord's responsibility? Is security... Being in Christ, or security in Christ, your responsibility or the Lord's responsibility? <clears throat> Looking for a response. Pardon? His? You say the Lord's? Any other response or interaction? Do genuine believers persevere in Christ? Do genuine believers persevere in Christ? I see a couple heads slowly going, yes. So if someone doesn't persevere, does that mean they're not a believer? Pardon? Means they're sick. Can a person who slanders, gossips, displays selfish ambition, displays fits of rage, envious, so his discord is a pattern in life, be a believer in Christ? See a couple heads slowly going, no. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. A couple other passages we were going to look at, but we'll come back to them if we have time. But Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. They're warming up, okay. Hebrews chapter 3, as we read chapter 3, keep in mind that Hebrews is written to professing believers, and apparently some of them were being tempted to go back to the Old Testament system of sacrifice. The overall theme of Hebrews would be that Christ is better than Moses, he's better than Aaron, he's better than the prophets, he's better than the Old Testament system of sacrifices. And tied in with that is that true faith perseveres. In chapter 1, he talks about Christ being better than the angels. In light of that, he gives a warning in chapter 2 and verse 1, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift. Apparently, there is a temptation to drift. Then beginning with verse 5, the writer of Hebrews talks about Christ 
being made like his brothers. He's taking upon himself human form, taking upon himself flesh, living among us. He shared in our humanity so that by his death he could destroy him who holds the power of death. And because he suffered and was tempted, he is able to help us when we're tempted. Let's pick up reading with verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, in light of Christ being better than the angels, in light of Christ taking upon himself human form, in light of Christ defeating Satan, in light of Christ making atonement for the sins of people, in light of him suffering when he was tempted, he's able to help others. In light of all of that, he says, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to the courage and hope of which we boast. Now notice a couple things. In the passage, he's talking about a heavenly calling, holy brothers who share in a heavy, heavenly calling. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And that's mentioned, maybe not in that way, but mentioned quite often that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, the apostle, the high priest whom we confess. And you'll notice that faithful is mentioned several times. He, Christ, was faithful to one who appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Christ was faithful. Moses was faithful. But in verse 3, Jesus is found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Christ is better than or greater honor than Moses. Every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house testifying to what would be said in the future. If you think about Moses, I'm convinced that he's probably one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, that repeatedly he dealt with a rebellious people. And repeatedly he interceded for them, and repeatedly he remained faithful. Moses was faithful in all God's house, Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Who is God's house? And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope. Notice the word if. Now the word if there is not that we retain or we try to do something to retain. Rather, it's speaking of possession 
and we are his house if we hold on, and we are his house as we demonstrate we possess something by holding on to our courage and hope of which we boast. So it's not doing something to retain salvation. It's faithfully walking with Christ, demonstrating that you possess. Verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath that in my anger they shall never enter my rest. The encouragement is don't harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. The rebellion there is speaking of when Israel was ready to enter the promised land, the 12 spies were sent out. The 12 spies came back. Ten of them said, we can't take it. We can't take the promised land. Two said, yes, we can. And the 10 spies influenced the entire nation. And they moaned and groaned and complained and said they weren't going to go into the promised land, and we know that those 20 years old and upward died in the desert over a period of some 40 years. Now, this is in the context of being faithful, the faithfulness of Moses, the faithfulness of Christ. And he says, and we are God's house if we hold on to the courage and hope of which we boast. And that's why the Spirit spoke of what happened with Israel. Verse 10 clearly states, I was angry with that generation. Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. Now let's pick up with verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now he's saying that to professing believers. But encourage one another daily as it is called today, so that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Guard against a sinful, unbelieving heart. Encourage one another daily. Apparently, we need one another. We get sucked into unbelief. We get sucked into a hard heart. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is very deceitful, and we need encouragement from one another, lest we become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Talking to a gentleman number of years ago. And he had been sucked into sin's deceitfulness. He was in some very serious sin. And in this case, it was some sexual sin. And I exhorted him and encouraged him very, very strongly. A little bit of hardness had already taken place. 
He was being deceived because he was seeing some of the pleasure of sin for a season. But it stayed in his case fairly heavy. And a couple weeks later, he was broken. He said, okay. And he went on to live for God. And in 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He's not talking again about doing something to retain salvation. He's talking about the possession. We come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. So I come to the end of life. I'm persevering as I did when I started my walk with God. doesn't mean there's not struggles along the way, ups and downs. Verse 15, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Saying to these people to whom he is writing, remain faithful to Christ. Don't go back to the Old Testament system of sacrifice and so on. Remain faithful to Christ. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Now think about that. The people who rebelled, the people who had hard hearts, the people who did not go into the promised land, the people who died in the desert were those who were redeemed out of Egypt. So here we have belief, those who profess to believe in God coming out of Egypt, but rebel when it came to going into the promised land. And he holds up, um, them up as an example of those who did not persevere. 17, and with whom? Was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose body fell in the desert? And to whom God, or and to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? Is it not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So we find that the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They came to Mount Sinai. They got the Ten Commandments. They come to the point where they're going to enter the Promised Land and they rebel and say, no, Lord. And God, our Scripture says, the Lord was angry with them because they sinned. Their bat bodies are scattered over the desert. They didn't enter the rest. They disobeyed. These people are held up as an example of those who did not persevere. So his exhortation in verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son 
over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. He says in verse 15, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Where's he coming from? True faith perseveres. True faith perseveres. True faith perseveres. And that comes through time and time again as you look at Hebrews. He talked about faithful Moses. He talked about faithful Christ. Holding up his example so that there's an exhortation to be faithful. See, as we persevere in faith, we're merely demonstrating that we have genuine faith. So the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Many of them died in the desert. They didn't persevere. Genuine faith perseveres. Practical implication. Some people may begin or seem to begin well, but they don't continue. Apparently they never began with genuine faith. And we are his house if we hold on to the courage and hope of which we boast. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Hebrews 3, Jesus is greater than Moses. Genuine faith will persevere. Questions or comments before we go on? God gives us the faith to persevere, yes. Faith is a gift. When we come to faith in Christ, faith is a gift to persevere as we go on. Both are a gift. We don't conjure it up ourselves. They are a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Any other questions or comments before we go on? So pose a question. Am I persevering? Am I persevering? Again, I'm not looking for you to answer that verbally, but... So sometimes, to this day, I still will have thoughts go through my head at times. Am I really a child of God? I know why that happens, because of, you know, some doctrinal beliefs years ago. And I stop and think about, am I persevering? Is there genuine faith? Am I going on for God? And I will refer to specific passages. Yeah, yesterday I, uh, this may sound like a crazy persevering, I jogged. I'll think, you know, well, yesterday I jogged. You say, what does jogging have to do with persevering? 
Well, before I jogged, I said, okay, God, you've given me this body, and the doctors have clearly told me if I don't take care of it, I probably won't be walking, and I wouldn't be if I did not exercise. So I'm taking care of your temple, and you tell me that I've died to sin. So even if I don't feel like it this morning, and it's hot and muggy, and I feel lousy, I'll still jog. That's indicative of life. You say, well, you've got to pick out something that's super spiritual. Most of life is not super spiritual. It's just the routine. Persevere. Okay, God. Um, I ached yesterday. Rather than getting bitter, I just said, thanks, Lord, for the trials. Because you're going to build character into me. Evidence of life. Some conclusions are not all related to this passage, some passages we've been looking at, and some we'll look at. Reconciliation, security, assurance, and perseverance are always in the context of in Christ. There's nothing apart from Christ. Reconciled to God, Christ. Assurance, security, Christ. Perseverance, Christ. There's nothing apart from Christ. Hebrews 3, it's Christ. Christ was faithful. Security is the Lord's responsibility. Assurance is from a human perspective. We cannot speak with dogmatism concerning who or who is not a believer in Christ. Am I secure? If I'm a believer, I'm secure. Why? Because I'm in Christ. That's God's responsibility. I don't have to worry about that. I may not always have assurance. The security is not dependent upon how I live. Will you say believers are going to persevere? Yeah. That's what Hebrews says. But my security is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon Christ. If security depended upon me, I'd be in big trouble. If security depended upon you, you'd be in big trouble. It's Christ. Reconciliation, security, and perseverance. All time with Christ. And the security is the Lord's responsibility. Do you always feel like you're a believer? Is there always assurance? There might not always be, but that's clearly from a human perspective. We can look at someone's life and say they don't look like a believer in Christ. Well, they may not, but we can't speak with dogmatism. We can say they sure don't appear to be. Well, then maybe we need to go to the next and share scripture with individuals who are concerned about assurance or are wayward. Let the Spirit of God work through scripture. There would be nothing wrong with asking someone who is struggling with assurance, someone who may not be living in sensitivity to God but claims to be a believer to read Hebrews 3. And they come across, and we are his house if we hold faithful to our courage and hope of which we boast. Probably one of two things will happen. I guess I'm not a believer, or I think I'm a believer. I better persevere. Let Scripture speak. Don't try to convince them they're a believer. Let Scripture speak. Don't be the Holy Spirit. Let Scripture speak. Focus on Scripture, not a past experience.
sometimes you get children, they move into the teen years, and they'll say, mom or dad or someone else, I'm a believer in Christ. Oh, yeah, you remember, you made a profession of faith. No, I wouldn't go that route. Am I a believer in Christ? Well, let's look at some scripture. Are you persevering? Are you going on? Are you being faithful? Yeah, the other day I beat my brother. Boy, afterwards I really felt bad and I went and told him I was wrong. Some evidence of life. So you have a 17 year old and come to mom and dad and say, uh, just want you to know that I was looking at something on the internet that's not good, that's wrong. Pray for me, help me stay straight. That'd be some evidence of life. You know, that person has life. But let Scripture, you know, take them to Scripture and let Scripture do a work. Any questions or comments to this point? I can't overemphasize the importance of letting Scripture speak. Talking to an individual one time who has, who at that time had certain patterns in his life. I asked him about where he was with God. And I said, but your life is contrary to what this passage of Scripture says. And took him to a passage of Scripture in Galatians. I think it kind of stopped him in his mental track, so to speak. Am I a believer? Am I really in Christ? He was not persevering because he had certain patterns of life. I wasn't going to try to convince him. He's one among many who have said to me, well, I made a profession of faith years ago. I said, hold it. I'm not talking about your profession of faith. I'm talking about do you have life? Well, I made a profession of faith. I didn't ask if you made a profession of faith. I asked if you have a relationship with God. There's a difference. Well, I made a profession of faith. Please understand, I didn't ask you about a profession of faith. Do you have a relationship with God? Well, if I made a profession of faith, I must have a relationship with God. Well, read Hebrews 3. The next time I talk to you, then tell me if you are in Christ. So a couple of questions, brief answer. Can a person who slanders, gossips, displays selfish ambition, displays fits of rage, is envious, so his discord is a pattern of life, be a believer in Christ? Now, I'm not going to answer that yes or no. Why would one in Christ want to live such a life? Why would one in Christ want to live that way? Why would one in Christ want to display selfish ambition or slander someone or display a fit of rage as a pattern of life? Why would they want to do it? Next question, can one dead to sin continue to live in it? 
if you're dead to sin, can you continue to live in it? The answer is no. Romans 6. That's Paul's argument in Romans 6. Does reconciliation influence our desires? Does reconciliation influence our desires? If you study scripture, yes, deeply. So if one slanders and he's a, he or she is a genuine believer in Christ, somewhere along the line, before too long, the Spirit of God is going to deal with that person, maybe through scripture, maybe through another believer, and they say, ah, I can't do this. I can't continue this. That's wrong. See, if I'm in Christ, why do I want to live that way? Reconciliation changes desires. Thus changes action. Is the individual who is living in sin but claims to have been saved years ago a believer? Again, I'm not going to answer that directly right now. Reconciliation, security, assurance, perseverance are a package. You can't have one without the other. Hebrews talks about reconciliation, talks about security, talks about perseverance. All together. First John talks about reconciliation, talks about security, talks about perseverance, all in the same book. And at the end of the book, he says, one of the reasons I wrote was so that you may know that you have eternal life. Another package, you can't separate them. Well, I'm saved, but I'm not persevering. No, you're yanking scripture out of context. Well, I'm secure, even though I'm not persevering. You're yanking security out of context. Well, persevere. I don't know if I was saved or not. Well, your persevering demonstrates you were reconciled. That's a package. He says in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, holy brothers, ties in with reconciliation. In verse 6, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast. Security would be tied in there somewhat, but perseverance would also be tied in. Verse 14, we come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end. Perseverance. See, there's certain things are packages. You can't divide the package. I used this before. You get your choice. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, you're seriously ill. And you get your choice. I either have to remove your heart or your liver or your lungs. Which do you choose? And you think, well, if they take my heart, you know, I can't live. Well, if they take my lungs, I can't live. And if they <clears throat> take my liver, I can't live. 
Doctor, I'll just keep them all. Well, God, I'm reconciled to you. Yeah. But I'm not persevering. Well, then don't claim to be reconciled. See, reconciliation, security, perseverance, they're a package. You can't have one without the other. Hebrews brings that up very, very strongly. Consider their lifestyle, not a profession of faith years ago. What's true in the present? And I emphasize that very, very strongly. What's true in the present? How are you living in the present? And again, you would say the same thing. You know, you're talking to someone. How are you living in the present? And I would encourage them, or you could read 1 John chapter 3. 4 through 10, and I'll read just several verses. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know now that he appeared so that we, he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. No, he's talking about you know, a true believer will not continue to live in sin. You know, as a pattern of life. That doesn't mean they never sin, they never struggle, but their pattern of life has changed because they've been reconciled to God. They're secure in Christ. So they persevere in not living a pattern of life of sin. Questions or comments?